You want a slice of rural England? We're going to talk about that. What does Pride and Prejudice have to do with the Peak District? Discover what mineral is found only in the Peak District of England. Where should you stay when you go to the Peak District? You'll get the answers to these and more questions in this episode. Travel to Europe is off limits for the time being, but we can still keep the flame of wanderlust alive through the virtual vacation with Guidester, the weekly podcast where host Jack Bauman, founder of Guidester, and travel enthusiast Arnold Stricker dive into new destinations, exploring their unique history, culture, and special vibe. Now let's join our host, the Guidester himself, Jack Bauman. In the United States, we have a lot of national parks. As I think about England, do they have the same kind of national parks that we have over here? Are people allowed to go to them? Do they charge to get in them? Britain has 15 national parks. So their national parks are are similar to ours. A lot of them are free to use, just like ours. Some of ours have fees to use, but to my knowledge, they don't. The one that comes to mind right off the bat is the Peak District National Park. That's the one I definitely want to delve into today. The Peak District, not to be confused with the Lake District, which is probably the most famous national park in Britain, or at least certainly one of them. So they call their parks districts? No, just the Peak District and the Lake District. I guess they probably call it a district because these are big and they encompass a lot of areas. There's actually towns and villages in these areas. Yellowstone doesn't really have a city or town. You have some little buildings and things for amenities. Peak District and Lake District, you have living, breathing towns that have been there for centuries and centuries. But those are the only two districts that I know. Other parks like Cairngorms in Scotland, it just is called Cairngorms. The South Downs is another one in the uh, south of England. So I don't know. These two just have the designation of the district. But it probably has to do with their diversity, their size. The Lake District and the Peak District really are two of the bigger ones. And the, the Lake District is the more famous one. That's the one that William Wordsworth, famous English poet, got a lot of his inspiration from. The Peak District was actually Britain's first national park, designated in 1951. Let's get some location here. I think most people know where London's located. Where is it in relationship to London? So it's north of London, about three hours. The Peak District is in several counties, Derbyshire, Yorkshire, and I'm putting on my English accent here. So Derbyshire, Yorkshire, Staffordshire, and Cheshire, most of the Peak District is in Derbyshire. But there's quite a bit in Yorkshire and a little bit in these other counties. That's 555 square miles in size. So depending on where you're coming from London, it'll take you three to four hours. Three hours to get to the southern part, four plus to get you to the northern part. It's an expansive area. Just outstanding beauty, breathtaking views, bustling market towns, quaint villages, giant historic houses. It is reachable from London. So was this something that the Crown formed, or was this something Parliament put together, or how did this come about? In the United States, we have national parks or a designation by Congress. How do they go about doing this in, in England? It's similar. So it was designated by the government in 1951. It was really born out of a need for more green space for those living in the cities. The 20th century saw a growing uh, appreciation of the outdoors and the benefits of physical exercise. This also is tied to World War One too. You've got the aristocracy with these thousands of acre estates just dominating these entire areas. And then you've got the blue collar workers that just went off to fought a war. They fought a war, they came back, and they're stuffed back into these cities. The three cities that encompass or surround, rather, the Peak District are Liverpool, Sheffield, and, and Derby. Manchester's in there as well. But you had these three big cities that surround the Peak District, which really at that point was totally owned by the aristocracy. So is that a coal area? 
Yeah, there is uh, mining in this area, but really it's an, an area of an out, outstanding natural beauty. So these are large estates owned by landed gentry, and they, they had livestock. They really just had thousands of acres that they would farm, that they would till. Uh, there is some industry in the area, but really it was just like Chatsworth. is very famous, a home of pride and prejudice. Mm-hmm. We'll have to get into that uh, later, but that's a cool one. This is thousands of acres, tens of thousands of acres owned by one family, the Cavendish family. Wow. How much land does one person need? And so really this goes back to the days of yore when the aristocracy in England was very powerful. So in the turn of the century, the people and these blue collar workers in these cities were looking at this land and they just thought it was wrong and they, they petitioned. This really started in the turn of the century, culminated in the 1920s, but then eventually got to 1950s. And that's when they made the determination, okay, we're going to make this area a national park. But what these blue collar workers did is they just started walking onto the land. There's an episode that spanned years where these in Sheffield and Derby, these big cities that are right on the edges of now the national park, then it was just these estates. They just said, we're just going to go and start walking onto this land by the thousands. And there's not much the aristocracy was able to do. And there was pushback. I'm quite sure people were arrested, probably beat. But eventually, the crown and the government kind of relented. Uh, relented, exactly. And they designated this area as the first national park in Britain. Well, that's an interesting way to get a national park. I know. It's just going to start walking onto the land. Yeah, maybe the animals in Yosemite out there <laughs> need to do the same thing. Exactly. Take a page from, from England. I, I find that a fascinating story. So the topography, you mentioned it's very beautiful and the lay of the land is picturesque. Give us a little bit more uh, description about that. What are we looking at when we're driving to the park? That's a good question. So it's well known for its gritstone plateaus, heather moorlands, its rock outcrops. Uh, The landscape's wild and remote and includes wooded areas as well as a lot of small villages and towns, big stately homes as we discussed. It's mostly natural beauty. So there's a lot of rolling hills and the wooded areas and the small villages. There's three main landscapes that it's broken up into. So you have the Dark Peak, the White Peak, and the Southwest Peak. The Dark Peak is composed of more rugged landscapes, ideal territory for visitors looking for challenging walks and hikes. This is where you'll get Kinder Scout, the largest peak in the Peak District at about 2,000 feet, Mam Tor which is unbelievable. The views from the top of Mantor are spectacular. The White Peak is characterized more by limestone dales, uh, meadows, pastures, stone walls, and a little bit more diversity in the habitat. And the Southwest Peak is similar to the Dark Peak with smaller areas of moorland interlinked with hedges and pastures and farmland. So there is some diversity to the Peak District, depending on what you find beautiful I like the the more dramatic landscape. So for me, the northern part, the western part, the dark moor, the dark peak are where I would spend my time. But it just depends what you're looking for. If you have time to see it all. So do people from the surrounding towns go or do people come up from London or where do the people come from that really utilize the park? It's really probably mostly domestic travelers, myself included. I've been in the Peak District several times. When I was there, it was mostly English and Scottish that would run into, some Welsh, mostly people that are in the area. So people living in Sheffield, Chesterfield, Manchester, Liverpool, Dobby. So people in the Midlands region. It's very common for British travelers in England, Scotland, and Wales to go to the Peak District for a holiday. We call it vacation. They call it go on holiday. So British go on holiday there. They definitely get some international travels. I think the Peak District is the third most visited national park in Britain, but most of that is domestic travelers. Again, like Lake District and the Cairngorms in Scotland and other areas, you'll get American travelers and other Europeans. But the Peak District, every time I've been, it's mostly British that I run into. So they camp out? 
do they stay at hotels or what do they do? You can camp. Most people are staying in the villages. So Bakewell is a city in the southern part of the Peak District. Most people will stay in a place like Bakewell. Bakewell is, for the Peak District, a very sizable town, maybe five or 10,000 people. That's really big for the Peak District. And that's where people will base themselves. They'll stay in a hotel, nice little B&B. They'll rent a car and then use that to base themselves. Other people will stay in little smaller towns like Castleton. I'm quite sure there's a, a percentage of people that'll camp and that'll stay. But I think most people are going to stay in one of the little villages inside the park or stay in one of the big cities like Sheffield or Chesterfield. Chesterfield's right on the eastern edges of the Peak District, and that's a city. Not a huge city like Manchester or Liverpool, but a really cool, quaint city, and that'll have everything you need as far as shops and restaurants. So that's what most people do is find a city or town and base themselves there. Gotcha. Jack, what's this park known for? Yeah, it's known for several things, and I'll just go through what it's known for and why it's worth visiting. As we mentioned, the stunning landscapes, open spaces, really the natural beauty. It's an amazing photographer's dream. Vast open landscapes and moors and crags and rocks and things like that. So the outdoor activities along with that, you're walking, you're hiking, cycling, climbing, and other outdoor pursuits. It's really known for its history, culture, and events throughout the year, especially known for its large stately homes like Chatsworth which we'll get into when we talk about some of the best things to see here soon. But Chatsworth and Lime Park are fantastic stately homes in the Peak District National Park that are well worth visiting. So it's known for that historical and uh, cultural uh, significance. The quaint and picturesque villages. Some of these villages, Arnold, are like too much to take. Ashford in the water. It's a little stone, little tiny little village with a stone bridge going over a quaint little stream. You're surrounded by little woodlands and some rolling hills. The village is literally just a couple streets. You don't see any hobbits walking around. (laughs) I'm not quite sure. I haven't stopped everyone and asked them if they're a (laughs) hobbit or not, but they could be. You really do get a sense of where Tolkien was. Tolkien was all over Britain and Ireland, but this is definitely one of those areas that feels very Lord of the Mm Ringy. It's very cool. And it's also known for Blue John. Do you know what a Blue John is? It's, I, it's a, I do not. It's a gemstone. It's, it's a blue and yellow gemstone that's only found in this part of England. Nowhere else in the entire world can you get this gemstone other than the Blue John Caverns in the Peak District National Park. And I've been in that cavern, and I've seen the mineral there, the gemstone, and it's beautiful. So a little side note, Blue John is French. It's French for blue and yellow. Yeah, right. it was discovered by French or mined by French, and they called it blue jaune or blue e jaune. And the English aren't really great with their accents, so over time, blue e jaune became blue John. That's where the name came from. The English just simplify, and the English are notorious for that. Like Leicester, we'd look at that word or that name place, and we'd say Leicester, Leicester, or Nottingham, Nottingham. The British definitely love to simplify. Like Mississippi and... Mississippi. They take it to to an extreme. They leave out many letters. If you look, I bring up Leicester because it really is Leicester. They leave out at least three letters, just Lester. And it always tickles me. But that's that's an indicator of how much time you spend in Britain is if you can look at a place name and pronounce it somewhat correctly. Like the natives do. The natives do. And a tip, the endings drop off and the shires are sure. There's some hard and fast rules, but then other times, Leicester, you just have to know it's Leicester. But then other ones like Oxford and Cambridge are the same. So it makes it fun and interesting. So what's this mineral used for? I don't know if it's used for anything. I think it's just a very beautiful gemstone. And it's rare. That's the thing is it's it's not found in any place in the world other than this area in England. Wow. Jack, you talked about Chatsworth, but what are some other must-sees if we go up there 
to that national park? That's a great question. So if we may, I'll pause real quick on Chatsworth because that needs a due diligence. So Chatsworth House is is home to the Duke and Duchess of Devonshire, perhaps one of the greatest stately homes in all of England. So no small thing. It's renowned for its architectural beauty, its invaluable treasures, sculptures, and its historical and cultural significance. This is the place setting for the Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. This is where the fictional Pemberley House, we think that Jane Austen had this house in her mind when she was writing Pride and Prejudice, and Chatsworth House itself is mentioned in the novel. So it's very significant, and it's a grand estate, 83,000 acres. So 83,000 acres, that makes up about 13% of the entire national park. What? Oh, yeah. 13% is made up by this one area, 83,000 acres, Chatsworth House. So it could keep a curious mind occupied for days, has over 25, 30 rooms to explore, grand stately rooms, unbelievable art galleries, sculptures, going back to ancient Greeks and Rome, and a vast expanse of gardens and fountains. They have an orangery where they grow oranges, and they have this gorgeous tiered fountain. Add into all that this obviously great stately home, and it's set in this rolling hills countryside. So the the stately home itself is spectacular. The gardens are amazing. In fact, the gardens in England are probably the best in all of Europe. People don't always realize how magnificent the gardens are in the stately homes. So there's just a lot to keep you busy at Chatsworth. It, it really epitomizes, in my opinion, the best of the Peak District, the natural beauty, the his- historical significance, and then that cultural connection. And which part of the park is that in? So that's the southern part. So southern it's, part. it's very near Bakewell, literally a couple miles from Bakewell. So, okay. so close to Dobby, and we would say Derby. D-E-R-B-Y, but it's pronounced Dobby. So not far from Darby, Dobby, but very close to Bakewell, which is where a lot of people base themselves when they visit the Peak District. Okay. So some other ones are Lime Park, which is another great stately home. That's in the west, northwest part of the Peak District. It's majestic and brings to, to light the glory of royal England. It was originally a hunting lodge, created originally in the 1400s, but transformed into a magnificent mansion that we see today. So just like Chatsworth, it's an amazing stately home with extensive gardens and a 1,400-acre deer park. Some of these deers have been in that area for centuries and centuries, same deer, so same family of deer that have been roaming that area for years. And I believe Lime Park has the highest elevated garden of any stately home in Britain. So this is in that higher part, the Dark Peak that mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier. This is in that part of the Peak District that's higher in elevation. So you get this great, spectacular view from the top of Lime Park as well. Uh, a couple others worth mentioning, Castleton and Peveril Castle. Castleton, it's a popular tourist village in the heart of the Peak District, really renowned for its quintessentially classic English character, a wealth of local history, being a part of the walking routes through the Peak District. Peveril Castle goes back to the days of Norman Conquest. So the 11th century after the Norman Conquest, they built this uh, castle overlooking Castleton, quaint little village in the middle of the Peak District that, that I would recommend basing yourself the the downside is you don't have the amenities of Bakewell or uh, Sheffield or Chesterfield or Dobby. If you want a slice of, of rural England, stay in Castleton. Uh, then, of course, Blue John Caverns that we mentioned. You can go in and, and view the caverns. They can take you down. There's a guided tour. You can do a little uh, shopping for the gemstone, the semi-precious mineral afterwards. So it's that's a cool scene. That's not far from Mam Tor. Mam Tor is one of the higher peaks in the Peak District that is spectacular. The hike up there is great, and then from the top of Mantor, you get sweeping views of the whole area, and that's not far from Blue John or Castleton. Bakewell, 
Again, worth mentioning. It's a cool little city near Chatsworth. Great place to base yourself. And also, a famous specialty is called the Bakewell Tart. It's very famous in Britain, especially England. It's a short crust pastry case followed by strawberry jam and topped with almond sponge. It's it's like a gooey tart, kind of. Okay. So good. It's tasty. In the Heights of Abraham, this is a really cool thing. It's a 60-acre woodland estate, first opened in the public in 1787 as a quote-unquote savage garden, which was just like a wild garden. Cable cars were added in 1984 to bring visitors up to the Hilltop Park. So it's this giant hilltop park that you have to take a cable car to get to. And it's got facilities that include like a photographer's gallery, exhibition of fossils found in the area, Victorian Prospect Tower, which were built by the lead miners in the early 19th century. There's playgrounds and picnic areas. Terrace cafe, restaurant bar. So it's great for families. And even if you're not with your family, it's cool and worth checking out for the views. It's a different kind of thing. The reason I go to the Peak District as far as sightseeing, in addition to the natural beauty, it's the villages. Castleton, Ashford in the Water, even the quote-unquote cities, which are really just big towns. The quaintness of them. You, everyone has a little river and a little stone bridge built over it and hobbits running around. <laughs> <laughs> There really is a lot to see, but the few that I listed here qualifies the must-sees. You know, from what you've talked about, with the age of some of these areas, with the multitude of cities, I can understand why the common folk would say, hey, let us have a chance at really enjoying this countryside. I was really surprised initially when you said that it took England, what, 1957 to really recognize this as a national park. So 1951. But, 51. Yeah, okay. but no, it took decades. And, and that's common when you get a power struggle between sort of the have and the have-nots. And that's what this was. It does take time to flush out. And there definitely were a lot of sort of flare-ups and, and issues. Again, quite sure people were thrown in jail You have to understand, too, Britain was just coming out of being the most expansive and powerful empire the world had ever seen. So 1900, Britain, the UK, the United Kingdom was the largest empire the world has ever seen, bigger than the Han Dynasty in China, bigger than the Roman Empire, as far as just land and sea territory. So fast forward to 1940, 1945. They lost something like half of their empire. Right. So they go from being the world's largest empire to just smaller and smaller. And then they lost Ireland in the 20s. Officially, I guess it was until the 30s or 40s. But Ireland broke away. Northern Ireland broke away, I think, in 1921. So you had this kind of breakdown. So Britain was keen to not give more away. And then you have these blue-collar workers who just fall the World War. They wanted more rights. They wanted more land. But the aristocracy just wasn't quite ready to give it up. So, yeah, it did take a couple decades. That's definitely a must-see when we go to England. The Peak District National Park. People will be impressed. If you skip over the Lake District, which is absolutely worth seeing, but if you go right to the Peak District and you spend a few days there and you meet some locals, they'll be impressed. Let's go see the Peak District. We are glad you decided to listen to this episode of Virtual Vacation with Guidestrip. We know that there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and we are glad that you have chosen to listen to us. Virtual Vacation with Guidester is produced by Motif Media Group. For Jack Bauman and Virtual Vacation with Guidester, I'm Arnold Stricker.